Good morning, everybody. This is not Gary Nolan today. This is Dave Rowland, the Director of Litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri, filling in for Gary this morning. Um, I always love the opportunity to speak with you listeners. We have an interesting show today. Uh, we are about to speak to Matt Vadum, uh, a reporter for the Epic Times. Uh, later on, we're going to hear from the Secretary of State of Missouri. We are also going to chat with uh, a couple of other guests later on in the show. So I'm looking forward to all of that. But let's go ahead without further ado and uh, bring in Matthew Vadum. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Okay, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. So uh, my understanding is is you wanted to talk about the Supreme Court hearing yesterday uh, in the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau case. Is that right? Do I understand things properly? <laughs> we can talk about that. I can talk about anything about the Supreme Court, but that is an interesting case that, that happened yesterday. That's true. Well, okay, bring it. Uh, the, I will let you choose where to begin then. Uh, what, what What's the most interesting thing happening at the Supreme Court right now that this just you're itching to talk about? Well, t- today they're, at, they're having a hearing about um, a civil rights uh, tester, somebody who is uh, called, uh, it's uh, called um, Atchison Hotel versus uh, Laufer. And Miss Laufer, uh, I guess for a living, um, causes trouble for hotels. Um, she looks on their websites and so on to see what kind of information they have about their their disabilities policies, their Americans with Disabilities Act uh, policies, how they accommodate disabled people. And if they don't put enough information on the website, she sues them uh, because they're required to, to, to post this information. And she's filed hundreds of lawsuits and the hotel industry is pretty sick of, of being, uh, uh, you know, uh, targeted by people like her. So they fought back, and they're in court to, uh, this morning to talk about it at the, at the Supreme Court. So that should be a pr- pr- pretty interesting hearing. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, so, so real quick, let's, let's just remind the listeners that um, ordinarily... You don't get to bring a case into the courts unless you have been harmed in some way. That's what we call standing. And right. and so um, with these kinds of tester cases uh, that, that the court's considering this morning, um, the, the person who brings the case does not necessarily have any injury that they have suffered. They're pointing out a way that potentially uh, a company is in violation of a law, but the violation that they're complaining about has not necessarily harmed them in some way. And so that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and here, um, you know, she doesn't have any intention of visiting the hotel. She's not intending to become a customer of the hotel. She's not going to stay there. Um, so the hotels are saying, uh, you know, she, she has no standing and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, they're irritated by this behavior. Um, uh, especially when um, a lot of them, you know, smaller hotels don't necessarily have, I, I don't think they're necessarily required to, to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Like they have, they don't necessarily have to, be, you know, build re- wheelchair ramps or, or things like that. It depends. And uh, they, they uh, you know, if they just don't put enough information on their website, they get, they get nailed by her and they're, they feel har- they feel harassed, right? And, and that's that's really important to point out as well. Um, kind of the the unintended consequences of regulation when you have a very large company like a, a hotel chain or something like that. Um, you have the resources to 
know precisely what the law requires and all of its intricacies and um, to make whatever adjustments are necessary. But when you're talking about smaller businesses, um, they do not always have the resources or the level of sophistication um, that that they might otherwise have or, or need in order to comply with all of these regulations. And so what happens frequently is the regulations end up biting the smaller organizations in the butt um, in a way that benefits the larger corporations. Um, and I think that a lot of people from a policy perspective would recognize, recognize that's a problem. Um, you're basically... Uh, assisting Walmart and harming the mom and pop st- uh, stores and that kind of thing when you apply regulations in this sort of way. Um, and so that's that's one policy-based argument why this is a bad idea. But now we're going to find out if there is a, a, a legal and perhaps constitutional problem uh, with, with allowing these unharmed people to come in and target these smaller businesses. So uh, do you have a sense right. yet of, of, of how that case is going to turn out? I know that they, they just started the arguments a few minutes ago, I believe, correct? Right, right. They're going on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll get back to them in a couple of minutes because I'm, ri- I'm writing about the case. But the um, yeah, it's hard, hard to say. I, I don't really have a good sense of what's going on with with uh, in the justices' minds on that one. But you know, well, it's, generally- it's interesting because ordinarily um, the more conservative justices have taken a a more stringent approach to standing. Um, so, for example, there there were cases from decades ago where people wanted to uh, sue to enforce. Uh, I believe it was wildlife regulations, and um, ultimately the Supreme Court said, no, you don't get to bring these lawsuits uh, because you've never suggested that you actually intended to go to any of these places and see the wildlife uh, there that, that you're saying you know, the regulations are, are not being properly applied. So unless you have suffered a particular harm personally, you don't have standing to bring this case. And, and that's kind of been the more conservative perspective on this. But then, you know, just in the last couple of years, there have been a couple of cases where maybe standing was a little bit iffy. Um, and, and the conservative justices went ahead and found standing so that they could get to the merits of the case. Do you think that there is a shift taking place in how the conservative justices view standing? Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes, but then sometimes not. Like, for example, in Moore versus Harper, the case about the independent state legislature uh, doctrine, which the Supreme Court ultimately rejected. You know, it states that the, the, the Constitution uh, provides that state legislatures are the are the uh, predominant makers of 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 rules about how um, federal elections take place within their uh, borders the supreme court did not um, go along with the with with the with the doctrine and did not um, uh, did not do what a lot of cons- what a lot of uh, 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 constitutional conservatives wanted wanted it to do and um, basically just left the status quo in place where um you know you can bring all sorts of um uh judicial challenges in about uh, race and whatever under the under the civil rights act and under various uh, mm-hmm. voting um statutes and uh they insisted on 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 doing it the 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 um they 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 um um they they didn't have a problem with standing 
um, even though the, the Supreme Court of North Carolina had uh, had reversed itself on the on the underlying issue, mm-hmm. they still mm-hmm. moved with the case. Now, with today, the the, uh, the civil rights tester case in the ADA, uh, uh, Atchison Hotels versus Laufer, the the, the this woman um, withdrew uh, her her complaint. Uh, and decide, you know, decided she didn't want to go through with it, and then said, asked the Supreme Court uh, in August to dismiss the case, and uh, the Supreme Court refused. So, so do you um, think she asked it, them to dismiss the case because she thinks she's going to lose? It, it could be. It could be. Well, she said she said that um, uh, uh, the um, uh, the the issue had been you know made moot, right, and. Uh, you didn't want to go ahead with it, uh, but then the well, Supreme and we, we said, see no, that kind no, of we're, we're strategy pulled out, um, you know, frequently, especially when government organizations think they're about to lose a case. In the uh, in the New York uh, Second Amendment cases over the last couple of years, um, as soon as it became apparent that the Supreme Court was going to weigh in on some of these uh, firearms regulations that New York had imposed, New York bent over backwards to try and moot the case to try and prevent the court from issuing a ruling that uh, New York was pretty confident was going to be uh, very much in favor of Second Amendment freedoms. Um, and, and that has not always been a successful strategy for, for the government. Um, sometimes it can be different, though, when you're dealing with, with individual plaintiffs as opposed to government, or rather, uh, uh, individual parties as opposed to government parties. But, um, yeah, I think that that's really interesting that that's been an issue. Um, tell you what, do, do, do we have you just for a couple more minutes so we can talk about the, um, yeah, if we could, let's, let's shift a little bit and talk about this. Um, uh, the case that was heard yesterday dealing with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, could you fill the listeners in a little bit on, on what the big issue is in that case? The big issue here, okay, now someone, they, they, they were in court three years ago all over the Consumer Financial mm-hmm. Protection yep. Bureau, and it's um, the constitutional legitimacy was challenged because it was uh, politically uh, um, unaccountable. In other words, the head of it could not be fired at will by the president. And this is a problem because if it's a federal agency, it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be, uh, uh, I guess, an instrumentality of the, the executive branch. It's supposed to be accountable um, in theory. Well, can, we, the can we take a and step back? Elected by the people. Can we take yeah. a step back and, and let's, let's say when Congress created this bureau, Congress intended for it, and it was a Democratic Congress at the time, they intended for it to be very independent. They wanted it to have uh, a degree of independence from the president. They wanted it to have a degree of independence from Congress itself. And so they not only uh, made the head of the agency uh, not fireable by the president, but they also um, created an appropriations model that says uh, that they could basically name their own budget. Uh, isn't isn't that correct, or am, am I misunderstanding? No, this? that's that, that, that's correct, and that's the issue. Instead of the the fireability of the head of it, uh, which was decided uh, three years ago in the case known as Sela Law, mm-hmm. um, and the Supreme Court in that case, as you know, uh, uh, said, yeah, said, yeah, you're right, this is unconstitutional, but we don't want to, uh, you know, there are reliance interests here, and we don't want we don't want to rock. We don't want to stir things up too much, and we're going to give um, them a chance to 
um, change things, change their policies so that the head can be of the CFPB can be fired by the president. So they allowed the bureau to exist. But today, the issue or in yesterday's arguments, the the issue is the funding mechanism whereby the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau gets its money from uh, a levy paid to it by the Federal Reserve System. Uh, you know, which charges banks a fee to to regulate them. Um, I guess in effect a tax, arguably, and 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 that that funding stream is is uh, is not subjected to congressional oversight, and that's the problem. The lower court, I think it was the, the Fifth Circuit, mm-hmm. which has been become beloved of late by conservatives and libertarians because it uh it's it used pretty closely to in their view to what the constitution actually says um and it, it found that the uh the funding stream was clearly um unconstitutional because you can't just have the sort of freestanding um appropriation going to going to a body without congress being intervening because it is the government's money. It's a federal, it's federal uh, money. Uh, the government has to have some input. At least the Congress has to have some input into how it's done, rather than it just sort of going on forever, collecting, uh, you know, collecting fees, collecting levies from the Federal Reserve System. So the Fifth Circuit said, you know, this is obviously unconstitutional, and struck it down. And so the CFPB appealed, and that's what they're. Uh, what they they dealt with yesterday, and and uh, so, you know, so one of the things that I found really interesting about the arguments yesterday was that. Um, even some of the conservative justices, it sound, sounded like, were kind of skeptical of the challenge here. Um, Justice Thomas, in particular, pointed out, look, just because um, Congress has not used a model like this before doesn't necessarily mean that it's beyond Congress's authority. Um, and so the fact that Congress has said, all right, well, you know, we're going to have this very, very high limit on what you can appropriate to yourselves. Um, that doesn't inherently mean that it's unconstitutional, that it violates the appropriations clause. And so kind of my read from the from the arguments yesterday is is it sounded to me like there are at least five votes to uh, reverse the Fifth Circuit and, and to say that uh, that this model is indeed constitutional. Did you hear it differently than I did? Um, I found it sort of difficult to get a reading on, on where they were going with it. But but my thinking is more sort of practical in that um, I don't think the Supreme, based on their past behavior, I don't think the Supreme Court, especially under the leadership of John Roberts, who hates to strike down anything, even if it's obviously unconstitutional, like Obamacare, and, uh, you know, bend over, bends over backwards to, to come up with, you know, specious reasons um, to justify his, his uh, rulings. Uh, I don't think they're going to over. They're going to overturn the funding mechanism. They'll, um, if at worst, they'll just say you have to bring this under the control of Congress. But we're not. Uh, they're not going to strike down the, the 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 Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's um, you know existence um, okay. in itself because they just they just don't do that. But you know, strictly speaking, as a matter, I'm not a lawyer, but just from covering this sort of stuff for many years. Uh, 
uh, strictly speaking, as a constitutional matter, uh, I, I, t- I tend to be sympathetic to the argument that it is unconstitutional. That, that many, I well, Mr. Vadim, we, we are going to have to go into yeah. a, a break here. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and chatting uh, about these cases with us. I do appreciate it. Um, if you can stick around on the other side of the break, I'd be happy to continue the conversation. But in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go to a break. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. We are back. Thank you guys for listening in today. We are speaking with Matt Vadum, uh, a reporter with the Epic Times. And uh, we, he and I got carried away talking about some of these Supreme Court cases on the first uh, first segment. And we, we ate up a lot of time for this segment. So, uh, Mr. Vadum, we've got about four minutes, but I want to go back to the discussion about the Consumer Finance. Financial Protection Bureau and the arguments that the Supreme Court heard yesterday. Um, do you have any other thoughts, like big takeaways from from the arguments? You you said you think that they're basically going to leave um, the the act in place. What what limits do you think that they might impose uh, based on the arguments yesterday? Well, or know, did I misunderstand what you were saying on that? No, I think you I think you got it right. I th- I, th- I think that the court. Uh, you know, I think the const, uh, I, I think that the pro, the, the, the CFPB's funding mechanism is a problem, but that doesn't mean the Supreme Court is going to do anything about it. Um, I think at the worst, uh, they're going to say, um, the funding mechanism is no good. You have to bring this under the power of Congress, uh, under the control of Congress and the appropriations process. Uh, and, uh, uh, but uh, uh, they're not going to say that they're not going to forbid this, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau from operating. And really, that's what they, they ought to do. Uh, but I don't think they're going to do it because they don't like to they don't like to uh, stir things up unless they absolutely have to, as they did when they overturned Roe v. Wade and when they um, made the ruling, the Bruin ruling, ruling in mm-hmm. 2022. Um, declare uh, recognizing for the first time a right to defend uh, a right to uh, bear arms in public to, to uh, you know for the purpose of self defense. Right. So I, w- I want to go back real quick to um, to Justice Thomas's comments. Is uh, one of the things that he pointed out was that the case that the court took up, in other words, the issue that they wanted to decide was whether the structure that Congress had adopted here violated the appropriations clause. And and Justice Thomas pointed out, you know, look, the arguments that that were made kind of got into some of the other constitutional issues, like um, the non-delegation doctrine. In other words, the idea that Congress is not permitted to assign its own duties to other branches of government. But that's, strictly speaking, not an appropriations clause argument. And and so Justice Thomas kind of called on uh, Mr. Francisco to say, you know, well, how do you get from, you know, these non-delegation arguments into the appropriations clause? And I, did, I wasn't sure he had a good answer. I, what, what was your thought there? Well, you're referring to, I remember what you're referring to. Justice Thomas asked the Noel Francisco, the... Uh, uh, who's representing the payday um, lending um, company that brought the challenge, he said, I want you to complete the following sentence. Funding of the CFPB violates the appropriations clause because blank. Yeah. And- well, we, we, I'm afraid we're, we're up against the commercial break. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Mr. Batum. Um, 
We're going to see how the court comes down on this issue, but uh, we're uh, going to have to revisit it later. This is this Dave Rowland. This is the Gary Nolan Show. We are about to be speaking with Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. Uh, I do want to make clear that we are speaking to him solely in his capacity as Secretary of State. He is uh, running for a different office, but this is not a campaign conversation in any way, shape, or form. So uh, if we could, let's go ahead and let's welcome uh, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft to the show. Mr. Ashcroft, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to hear your voice and glad you're Likewise, likewise. Yeah. So uh, I am itching to talk to you about uh, this case that was heard by the Missouri Supreme Court last week involving your office. However, I am also sensitive to the fact that sometimes when government officials are involved in litigation, they prefer not to speak directly about that litigation. So let me toss it out to you. Uh, can you talk to us about that case, or should we limit our conversation to broad principles that might have been implicated um, by the case? You know, I think there are things about the case we can talk about. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's really sad that uh, elected officials kind of just refuse to perform their duties sometimes when they're getting sued. And what you hear is the, the people that are suing get to say their state, and then elected officials are too scared to stay where they stand. I think it's a cop-out. Um, I would not be fighting this case in the courts if I did not believe that we were right and doing the right thing for the people of the state. So, uh, you know, I'm, I may not go into every detail of it because Understood. it could deal with uh, litigation strategy, but no. I'm happy to talk about it, and I think it's important to talk about it because the people have a right to know. I agree, and I, it's so refreshing to hear you say that. So let's let's provide a little bit of background about how this issue even got set up. Um, if you could, would you would you share with us about what happened in 2014 um, with the Missouri Supreme Court and and how they dealt with a particular ballot issue. Um, can you do that? I can fill in some if, if you need me to, but I thought maybe it'd be best coming from you. Well, I think, and and I appreciate you helping to fill in some because I'm in so many lawsuits right no, now. I understand, I understand. By the securities industry because they don't want to disclose how they're using people's money. I'm getting dis uh, sued um, by individuals who are mad that they came in third place in the election and somehow that's my fault. I'm getting sued <laughs> by people... Um, that uh, are unhappy that we're telling the truth about their initiative petition language and they want to obfuscate the issue. I think what you're talking about, although sometimes I lose track of all the lawsuits, is the lawsuit dealing with the uh, constitutional amendment to allow the requirement that the city of Kansas City pay 25% uh, of their budget to police officers instead of the 20 that they've been doing that was passed by the legislature. Yeah. That's yeah. the one that we're talking about? Well, yeah, that's that's the case. That's the case that was argued last week. So, so you know, to, to provide the context of that case, um, the legislature, if I recall correctly, referred an issue yep. to the people. Um, yep. and, and we had the option of amending the state constitution to give the legislature greater control over... Uh, the spending that the city of Kansas City would would uh, devote to its police department. Um, right. And basically, the, the people overwhelmingly approved this um, this petition. So it, I believe it was 63 percent of the voters um, said that this should yeah. be made. Um, um, but but the mayor of Kansas City didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, jump in. He didn't like that. And I think uh, a 
foundational issue to mention, and this is something that I think you and I are both very happy about, the state could not pass that law without the people uh, amending the Constitution to allow it because of Hancock. Right. And the idea that the state is not allowed to require political subdivisions to spend money, generally speaking, our courts have weakened it, I'm afraid, but the state can't mandate a political subdivision spend money uh, without the, the people changing the Constitution, which is a great thing. Um, but this, uh, in this, this constitutional provision was tied to a statute that was going to be passed, that was passed by the legislature. It could not go into effect unless the constitutional amendment was passed. Right. The state auditor reached out to Kansas City to get uh, financial data to be able to uh, give a prediction for what the financial impact of this constitutional amendment would be both to the state and to local political subdivisions, would it raise money, would it cost money, so that the people could know that when they vote on it. Kansas City had the opportunity to challenge that fiscal note just like anyone else can, and they forgot to, or they were too late in doing it. And now they want a second bite at the apple. That's why uh, they have appealed it to the Missouri Supreme Court. Uh, There are actually, I think, questions about whether or not they even have standing to do that because I think you're supposed to be a citizen that is filing this, and yet the mayor, uh, according to all the receipts, has done this in his official capacity. So what, what we have here is simply the city of Kansas City trying to make sure that they don't have to spend money to defend the people of Kansas City and make sure that they can be safe in their homes, and it's wrong. Well, there's one other really important fact here, and and again, I may misunderstand this, but I think I've got it right. From what I understand, Kansas City already was spending roughly 25% of its budget on the police department, and that's what the statute would have required. Essentially, the statute was intended to prevent future defunding. Um, It was to prevent the city from, in the future, reducing the amount of um, spending on on the police department. And, And so that raised a really interesting issue for the Supreme Court, because um, when the city, it's not a new mandate. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. And when the city reported that, oh, well, you know, for the fiscal note purposes, this is going to cost the city potentially tens of millions of dollars. Um, well, but it's not because they're currently spending in that right. level right now. And so one of the questions that was asked at the oral argument is, well, how can you say that you're going to be harmed to this extent? When, in fact, it doesn't require you to increase your current funding at all. And um, and so I thought that that was a really interesting point. And, and it certainly does call into question why they think that they should have been able to put forward this, this enormous fiscal note when, in fact, there was no current change at all to be... Um, to be uh, found when it came to their their level of spending, um, but they were basically arguing, "Well, we get to hypothe- uh, we get to um, hypothesize that maybe uh, in the future, under completely different circumstances, we might be harmed to the tune of this amount." And and the auditor had said, "No, I don't think so. You you haven't demonstrated that." Um, so I well, thought that was really interesting. And- I think the auditor was provided information from the city of St. Louis that said, 
we wouldn't have to spend more under this. I think a lot of what the city is now arguing is not what they submitted to the auditor. Uh, that, so the, yeah, that, I think that's they're correct. They're arguing yeah. against themselves. And the auditor saying, you already spend this much. You told me you already spend that much. Yeah. Now, after the fact, after you've had your time to appeal it, you want to appeal it a second time, after the people have voted on it, uh, you want to suddenly change what you're arguing, which I think everyday people say, that's not right. And for the people that aren't sure that this really matters, um, there are pretty strenuous allegations that are at least credible, and I think they're true, that the city of St. Louis has been shifting funding away from the police department. Um, I've heard that the police department used to have mechanics that were specifically supposed to be working on police vehicles. And what the city did was they got rid of the mechanics for the other city vehicles and are now requiring the police mechanics to repair all the city vehicles. Hmm. So the idea that a municipality would try to hide what they're doing by withdrawing protections and, and, and not supporting the police to protect the people is, is a very real possibility. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Secretary Ashcroft, we are coming up on a commercial break here. You're going to be here on the other side. No, 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 it's not a problem at all. Uh, you're going to be with us on the other side of the break, correct? Yes. Okay, great. So, so what I want to talk about on the other side of this break is the fact that this was an election contest. Um, the, like that's the posture at which the, this came to the Missouri right. Supreme Court. And I think that raises some really interesting questions about whether the court should be addressing this at all. We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. We are back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show. We are privileged to have Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft uh, on the line with us. Mr. Ashcroft, thank you so much for joining us. We have been discussing uh, this this case that the city of Kansas City filed, um, basically trying to undo a constitutional amendment um, that the people of Missouri adopted um, to the tune of about 63% support for, for this amendment. Now, we said before the break, we wanted to talk about the fact that this was an election contest. And the idea of an election contest is the person who presents the challenge, says there was an irregularity in this election that was so significant that it calls into question the legitimacy of the outcome. And that's why I get to uh, argue that this election should be undone. That's effectively what you're asking for in an election contest. Um, and I find it really strange that they feel like they they can show that when 63% of voters approved this issue, that somehow there was an irregularity sufficient enough to undo that election. I mean, do you have any thoughts on 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 this strategy that they've chosen here and, and whether it was appropriate for them to be able to bring this challenge in the first place? Well, I, I don't think it was appropriate. I don't think they have any ability to show any irregularity. Uh, their, their irregularity, I guess, that they claim is that they disagree with the fiscal summary. Yeah. But that's not an irregularity. That's not a factual thing. That's not showing, oh, these ballots were not counted that should have been. These right. people were given the wrong ballot. Um, this is, well, well, we lost. Now we want to go to court because 
well, well, we didn't want to lose. Yeah. So um, <laughs> as as you're aware, um, you know, I've actually litigated a successful election contest and and the bar Very rare. It's yes, extraordinarily rare. Um, but the bar is is really, really high. And quite frankly, it should be. Um, and 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 so. In that contest, we had to go in and show, look, the way that this election was, was handled, um, you really cannot be certain, um, you can't be certain that the candidate who ended up being declared the winner legitimately got the most, uh, lawful votes. And, and so in that case, there were, Oh, I want to say roughly 3,000 votes cast, and the difference between winning and losing was maybe 84 votes out of roughly 3,000. Um, so that's, that's a really, really narrow margin of victory. And we were able to show that in, to the tune of about 240, 250 votes were unlawfully counted. And when you've got that huge of a number of, um, unlawfully counted votes versus only 84, votes making the difference between winning and losing, that at least opens the door to say, yeah, we just can't be sure that the correct candidate was declared the winner of this case. But when you've got 63% of voters across the entire state, so you're talking about millions of votes, um, it blows my mind that the city of Kansas City thinks that they can show, oh, well, even if the fiscal note had been written the way that we think it should have been written, then... It would have changed what would have had to have been tens of thousands of votes across the state, right? It might, it might even uh, have, it would have had to have been more than 100,000. And, and they have shown no evidence that any votes were improperly cast. Right, yeah, no, that, that's the important. The evidence is people voted the way we didn't think they should. Yeah. It, you so, showed oh, that go ahead. they were illegally or at least improperly cast ballots. Right. They can't show a single improperly cast ballot. Right, right. So, so this gets to the other point that I really wanted to make. The reason that Kansas City was able to move forward with this at all is that there was a decision the Missouri Supreme Court made back in 2014 um, that basically said a ballot title issue um, can be considered an irregularity sufficient to warrant um, the overturning of an election. Now, they didn't do it in that case. That was that was a case that dealt with, uh, if I recall correctly, the amendment to strengthen the right to keep and bear arms under the Missouri Constitution. And the, the was challengers... Was that Dotson v. Kansas? Yeah, that, that was Dotson. Yeah. Okay. And, and so... i trying to make sure that I thought we were talking about the same one. Yeah, yeah sure enough. Uh, so, so in the Dotson case, um, they ended up saying, well... Even though the ballot title was written in this way, um, we think that that did not change the outcome of, of this vote. And so we're not going to undo the election. But they did specifically say that you can bring a challenge after the election has taken place, arguing that because uh, I guess the theory is the people were somehow misled as to what they were voting on. Um, that maybe that would be sufficient to undo the result of the vote. And I got to tell you, Jay, I think that was a wrong decision. Like, I think that was a, well, a was legally incorrect. <laughs> well, they, they were claiming that it, it's written into, uh, chapter, I believe, 116 
uh, of of Missouri statutes, but but the idea that you could undo an amendment to the state constitution, where, by the way, the state constitution itself says that when a majority of the voters have voted in favor of an of an, an, an amendment. That amends the Constitution. The Constitution is yep. amended, and I don't know how you undo that um, by saying, well, but maybe the people didn't really understand what they were voting for. I mean, don't we have to presume that the people understand what the issue is? I feel a lot. Well, look, if we presume that the legislature knows what they're doing, we definitely have to presume that the people know what they're doing, because I trust the people a lot more than our legislature. Well, yeah. And under our Constitution, the people are actually the the premier legislative authority, like the fact that we have uh, initiative and re and uh, referendum on our state constitution that puts the people in a um, in a position of primacy as the legislative authorities over the legislature. Now, the legislature typically manages the legislative authority but but one of the things that makes Missouri's constitution unique is it does provide the people a level of direct uh, assertion of legislative authority that transcends what is provided to the legislature and and so I think particularly when you have a situation like this where an issue was referred directly to the people they got to vote on it I think it's the height of arrogance to suppose that the people cannot be presumed to understand what they were voting on. I mean, that's like saying, oh, well, we get to undo something the legislature did because maybe the legislators didn't understand what they were voting on. That would never fly uh, if you tried to take that in front of the courts. I mean, it's absurd to suggest uh, that 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 would be the standard to apply. And yet that seems to be the standard that that got applied in Dotson. And we'll have to find out whether they're going to apply it in in this uh, Kansas City case or not. If, if such a flimsy argument allows the Supreme Court to overrule the consti- uh, a constitutional amendment, then we have given all authority in our government to unelected judges, and that's not right. Yeah, that, our that's a problem. Constitution should only be amended when the people approve it. Right, and and the judge's responsibility is to apply the law as the people have established it in their constitution. Um, and and, and we do have is, to be concerned. Be. Yeah, we, we have to be concerned um, when judges, perhaps based on policy preferences, um, are willing to disregard or discard parts of the Constitution. Well, Secretary Ashcroft, thank you so much for being on with us. It is always uh, just a lot of fun to chat with you. Um, so I, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. All right, you do the same. We are about to go into another commercial break. We're going to be back on the other side of this break with uh, a friend of mine who is fighting for liberty in Kansas. And so I'm looking forward to that conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it as well. This is Dave Roland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show 